All right, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr. You're listening to episode 82 of the Looking Sideways podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening to and or downloading this episode and I hope you enjoy it. And I've got to say, this one was just a total pleasure, really. Sometimes I think within 30 seconds of meeting somebody, I can tell that we're going to get on and that we're also going to have a really interesting multi-layered and generous conversation. And that's exactly how it was with this week's guest, Colin Kennedy. Actually, I could tell from the emails we exchanged before I made it to California that it was going to go well and I was going to like Colin. I was introduced to Colin by our mutual friend, Ben Hall. And being familiar with his work, I was naturally pretty keen to get him on the show. So it was a bit of a changeover day on our trip when myself and Owen were heading down to Orange County. So on the way, we called in on Colin at his Silver Lake pad and we recorded this episode. And my suspicions were confirmed because in person, Colin's a charming, hyper-intelligent and obviously supremely talented individual. He is without question one of the most influential skate filmers working today. And when you look at his work, it isn't difficult to see why really. Now we cover the details in the actual conversation, but suffice to say, he came up in LA and he's since worked with just about everybody in skateboarding during a career that includes stints at 411 DVS and the Barracks. Today he's a freelancer and he's legendary for bringing a unique eye to his projects. I'm releasing some of the most dazzling skate shorts the last decade. I'm thinking about stuff like Quick and One Stop, which bring together a singular creative vision with obviously some absolutely incredible skateboarding. Now, cinema verite is a phrase that gets dropped a lot around um, Colin's work. And when you watch something like One Stop, you can see why, really. In a way, this conversation in which we discuss Colin's career in skateboarding and his artistic and creative inspirations is a bit of a companion piece to the Nick Hamilton interview from episode 81, albeit obviously from a different part of the industry. Because this is the story of a guy who, yeah, he's talented, sure, but he's taken every opportunity that has come his way and completely run with it. He's focused, hardworking, and pretty crucial, this, if you ask me, extremely likable and amenable. And that is a killer combination that goes a long way. It's a theme that comes up a lot during the podcast and, well, life in general, really. Be nice, work hard, and good things will probably come your way. A pretty simple viewpoint, but it is amazing how often people, including some incredibly talented people I've worked with over the years, don't heed this lesson, particularly athletes, and end up falling far short of their potential. Reminds me of that old Calvin Coolidge quote, nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistent and determination alone are omnipotent. And I'd say the artistic and commercial success of Colin's career is an object lesson in the truth of that statement, as he explains during our conversation. And the other way this is a companion piece to the Hamilton episode is in the way that Colin's career almost perfectly mirrors every development in skate media, from his early ambition to make a team film, like the ones he grew up with, then working for 411, then dealing with the internet, he worked for a team, and finally now the way he works with brands like Adidas to create his current projects. And that's all before I've even covered the other elements of Colin's career, like the narrative shorts, the music videos, and his documentary work. Such a shame we didn't have more time for this one. We were on the clock a bit, but I'm pretty sure we could have happily gassed away for a couple more hours. I'll be back at the end with the usual housekeeping, but in the meantime, I hope you enjoy my episode with Colin Kennedy. Skate Verite, enjoy. (laughs) 
Colin, how are you doing? It's really good to see you, man. I'm good. Good yeah. to see you too. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming here. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, so we're at your place. Where are we? Silver Lake? We're in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about Silver Lake because I'm not familiar. Sure. Uh, Silver Lake's one of those interesting neighborhoods, I think, in the sense that it gets a bad rap. It's kind of like the Williamsburg of Los Angeles where... Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it, it, right. it kind of is synonymous with like johnny come lately's you know like oh it's like the new place to be or it's kind of um but it's really an old neighborhood right and it's like a primarily well this is like the north side of silver lake it's a lot of families um it does definitely have a a lot of bars and a lot of i don't know mu- there's music venues it's, right. it's a, it, but they've had they've been here for a long time yeah and so silver lake's always kind of been this neighborhood that either i think people either love it or it's it gets a little bit of like oh fucking silver lake like right it has like this it comes with ring to it it comes with baggage it does come with baggage yeah so it's basically been kind of slowly gentrified kind of hip hipsterized it has yeah because even in the in the in the 80s it was still like pretty dicey right echo park is the neighboring neighborhood yeah we just drove past it yeah Yeah, Yeah. so and echo park um silver lake gentrified before echo park right and um but in in the same sense silver lake is nice because there's a there's a man-made reservoir yeah and, which is uh, just over the hill just right? over the hill and yeah. it's called silver lake because of a guy's last name okay so not because of any not, sort of like not, this romantic bucolic. yeah exactly Vista, <laughs> the silver lake so who's that guy then i work for like the department of water and power it's, it's not a very romantic well, it's story. a big thing in this town isn't it because you've got mulholland right exactly. as well he was the guy that chinatown well, was based upon yeah. and you know obviously water is pretty important in this town isn't it? it is so yeah apparently if you help bring water here and steal it from another part of the state you get municipal recognition you, do you get municipal recognition right. i guess elsewhere in the state yeah you're demon you know you're a bit of a villain but here you're yeah. canonized wow it's, i mean that's what the film's about isn't it yeah 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 so but you're not from this part of la not from this part of la i grew up in a city about 20 minutes east of downtown called whittier okay and what's um, that like whittier's it's a fairly large city i want to say it's about eighty thousand people yeah um kind of stretches in this long it's, it's like a, a long uh strip of a city and um and it's actually one of the last i guess the easternmost points of la county so there's one more city after that called la habra and then or no whittier is i think the end of los angeles county okay in, in a certain direction like eastern yeah in a certain yeah. easternmost point it's nice it's um it's suburbia um, mixed with a little bit of kind of um, it, Richard Nixon uh, either grew up there or went to school there. So there's some ties to kind of like a conservative American values, um, some Victorian homes right. lined the streets of the old Main Street. It's one of those places. But yeah. then it's a lot of um, working class Latino families. Okay. Um, it's uh, like I said, it's suburbia. So there's just small tract homes and um, right. and old neighborhoods. It's a, It's a pretty... It's a pretty cool city in that regard. It's it's old. It's got some roots and some history, and it's got like a good melting pot, good mix. Like I grew up with, like all my friends I grew up skating with, they're like Filipino and right. uh, South American and Central American and Mexican. Like um, definitely, definitely you get introduced, like, you know, I'm going over to friends' houses having f- food I'd never had before right, right off the bat. Like I, I love that stuff as a kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's intimidating, but at the same time kind of like, oh, I've never... I didn't know what that was until today. So right, and that's where you grew up skating. Presumably. That's where I grew up skating. Yeah, there and uh, there's a city about 15 minutes south of that on the freeway called Downey. 
and okay. I had uh, an uncle and an aunt that lived there. So I'm, I'm going to school and living in Whittier. And then on weekends and uh, any vacations that I can, I'm going to my uncle and my aunts because my uncle's a surfer and my aunt's like, at this time in my life, I'm like 10, I view her as like, uh, I mean, she is like the quintessential like style goddess. Like she drove like uh, a cool car that had a CD player in it. It was like in 1988. Yeah. So this, you know, this is like futuristic. That is futuristic. Yeah. And, uh, right. And they weren't well to do. I think they just chose where they wanted to like spend their money. So they were, so they had an alternative life. Was that your kind of first alternative role models? Almost? I, I think so. And the kids that skated in that neighborhood were more advanced than the ones in Whittier right. that I knew. I'm sure there were great skateboarders. I just didn't know them. So there was like some teenage guys that were my first real experience actually was seeing these teenagers on the the next block over on a, on a jump ramp. Right. And they were like proper good, like doing like Japan's and methods and like judo, like, you know, five feet out. Yeah. And that was the moment. I think I don't remember the exact day, but I remember seeing that and being like, Oh my God, like it was so much more impressive than you you can do that. Yeah. Then like, you know, skating to the seven 11 to get like a slurpee or something, which is kind of what we had done before that. So that was your kind of first introduction to like wider, skate culture i think so and these guys looked cool and they had they had fucking cool names that I, I, like <laughs> it's important i'm serious like if you i feel like your first introduction to skating can kind of be a make or break scenario and like the guy's names were like his name his first name was Kiefer. yeah like almost like Kiefer sutherland and this is like right around the time of like stand by me and i'm like oh my god this guy's boys. Got, yeah like the same name as this yeah. guy yeah, yeah um and then the other guy's name was mark and his last name was sao paulo like the city in brazil like it felt very exotic yeah right you know i was like who are these guys and they had like rat bones sweats on and uh you know like the the attire of the day this is like 1988 yeah. 89 and yeah. they looked the part like yeah. they looked like, you know, when I first rented a skate video, they looked like the guys in the Bones Brigade video. I was yeah. Like, what? Like, and they're right down the street. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, those local heroes in those skate scenes, when you're our age, you're like, they're like, like crucial, aren't they? Cru- crucial. Yeah. You know, that, they're, they're, they're like the, the, the kind of folk heroes, aren't they? That, yeah. That kind of lead the way, really. I, I think so. I mean, I think that's like, if you don't have like a brother or a cousin or something to get you into it, which I also had an older brother. Right. But if you don't have that, it's like those neighborhood kids, I think, that are the the gateway to it becoming more than just another object that sits alongside your baseball bat, your bicycle. Yeah, exactly. Your, you know, it, skateboards at that time, it was so popular that almost everyone had one, but it was just kind of part of the quiver of activities for kids yeah but to actually cross over and be like right that's me yeah and self-identify with that exactly and put in the time yeah right and like the frustration to like i want to learn some of that i think i i don't know that i would have ever done that without my older brother or these like these guys that were his age that they just looked so damn cool yeah yeah you know and and they were good that's the thing it's not it's not one of those things where i've gone back years later to find out like that they were crap yeah uh, you know i've talked i've met other people over the years that grew up in like the downy scene and stuff They're like oh dude those guys ripped like yeah, those yeah. guys were so good like, they, they could legit. have been something yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so you were hooked i was hooked yeah yeah this is like 88 89 right so um, that was it that was it it was um and then of course you know you get into something and then you want to devour everything you can so i think i rented every video i could from the video store which at that point was you know like bones brigade video one and like future primitive street skating with rob and Nodis, yeah which is like an instructional video yeah yeah um which which was huge to me because now it was like demystifying like the stuff i was seeing in the other videos I'm like yeah. oh that's how you do it um 
and I even to the point of like any film that had skating in it, you wanted. To, I mean, I'd already seen Back to the Future, but like Gleaming the Cube, Gleaming the Cube, of course. Like <laughs> I see a trailer for it, and I'm like, that's Tony Hawk, and like I want to see it. Um, Is it Tommy Guerrero and Gleaming the Cube? I, I think all of them are in there. Yeah, because like, they did the, on Instagram. They did a there was a pic during the rounds of a reunion yeah. shot. Because Christian Slater, right? Christian Slater, yeah. And because there's the scene, this is what stands out in my mind. It's like Tony Hawk's the pizza delivery driver. That's his like, <laughs> that's his job. And they they crest this hill. Fuck, I've not and seen all that for the, a long time. All the skaters like Cab and uh, and Tommy Guerrero, Nottis might even be in it. Yeah. They're all kind of holding on to the back of this little tiny, you know, it's like a Toyota or a Datsun truck with yeah. a little pizza hut delivery, pizza hut delivery sign yeah, on the yeah. top. And um, that scene, I think as a kid, especially I'm like, you're like part of something yeah right? even thrashing was a uh, you know that was huge for me as a yeah, kid yeah yeah well i mean the, the, what you're talking about is like it just wasn't around was it really it's no. not like you know and it, it's a very obvious comment the, the day and age we're living in and like how prevalent any type of media you want is but it was that rare wasn't it so you yeah. did have to like find those glimpses in you know stuff like that film which was obviously in hindsight a bit shit you know yeah, but yeah. like it, it was important wasn't it sure you know it's like same with point break and you yeah. know all, all those films all those little glimpses because it kind of like just reinforced it what, what the appeal was right yeah and i think at, when you're young when pop culture kind of appropriates something that you're into whether it's like surfing or skating or punk or something you don't really you're not seeing it through like the cynical lens yet no not at all so you're you're just seeing stoked. it almost as yeah, yeah you're like fuck like this thing that I'm into is also like in a movie. Like this is amazing. Yeah. Then you get older and you look back and you're like, oh my god, it's like hokey or it's corny. Yeah. But um, but what we we were just talking about before we start recording, like you know the the even the mainstream eighties films that that, that are so important to our generation, and that, yeah. even that last like the your Predator, Terminator, Commando, yeah. all that. Like <laughs> we're just saying, like yeah, still watch them, still watch the remakes because yeah. it because it does. It's the same thing. It's kind of reminds you of that time in a way doesn't it yeah and, and that self-identity that you were you were kind of like shaping i guess at that point absolutely yeah so who so you presumably then started to get fully into it so who were you, who were you skating with what was what was the, the in these early years what was that scene like for you i had so in the early years i had my older brother josh who is about nine years older than me and he had a few friends a buddy of his like this guy dion i can't remember his last name and his buddy jeff um, and I would just try to hang out with them as much as I could because they were so, you know, they were like seniors in high school. They were like the epitome of cool. But if I couldn't skate with them because they were off doing other, you know, side activities as yeah. te- teenage guys, um, I had a, a younger friend in Whittier. He was like my kind of my skate buddy. His name was Mick. And then I had another friend who was a neighbor of my cousins. So I had like these kind of two little they weren't even crews. They were really like just two individuals that were more, one was my buddy Mick was a year younger than me. Yeah. And my buddy, um, Mike was a year older than me. And he was my coincidentally, my uncle's neighbor and he ripped, he had like good style, good pop. Yeah. And he had an older brother that skated too. Right. Um, so those first few years were kind of spent like bouncing between those two kids and they both had different styles and different tastes and like what they liked. But at that time, this is like 19, 19- 89 90 skating itself or street skating was so small yeah that it wasn't you couldn't have like that many that that large of a disparate um opinions on who's good or what you like it was all pretty packaged for you still at this moment this sure. is like the birth of world industries yeah. and like um and and that stuff like hit us hard i think because we were kids so it looked 
like neon colors. And yeah, well, it was your era, right? Yeah. So that, I, that, that was what you grew up on. I, I guess. think so. And this is even before I would say that I was really aware of skating in the sense of who's who or like an industry. Right. This is still just as like a, a complete kind of like passive. It's just washing over me. Right. I, I, don't, I don't have any really discerning kind of taste about who's the best, you know, Matt Hensley versus yeah, Jeremy yeah. Klein. Just I'm avid, just, avid consumer. Totally. Take it all in. Yeah. And there's, there's guys who like stood, stood out, but they it just all washed over me. And I was like, I mean, I remember riding like a Todd Congelier Liberty board. Right. And Todd Congelier skates vert for primarily, but I'd never stepped foot on a vert ramp, but I didn't care. Like, yeah. Yeah. I just liked the graphic. I liked the shape, but you know, it was, I was still at that age where I was just like, yeah taking it all in yeah and so was the wider culture that comes with skateboarding also something that you were finding appealing because obviously it's where you start to get your music taste you know yeah. so it's where you start to kind of tick off all those cultural reference points right is that also something that was appealing I th- yeah I, I think it was i mean i had my siblings to kind of look to for that stuff i have three older siblings and they were definitely influencing me in music and movies and whatnot but skateboarding I mean, I wanted to look like those guys. I wanted to, I remember when I got the H street video, Hocus Pocus, yeah. the, the music in that video, well, I was like humming. I remember finding myself humming the songs and I, it definitely was like giving me, um, I didn't have the wherewithal to know what it was doing to me, but I know that I just immediately wanted to emulate it, you know, like the look of it, the feel of it and skating is it wasn't like a bad boy image either. Like, that's the funny thing. It wasn't like, even though it was this like counterculture thing at the time, it felt like accessible. I didn't have to be like a dick or like a public nuisance to be fully in. Like it didn't, like maybe I'd miss that, right? Like that might've been a little bit earlier. Yeah, maybe. So I think I I was like, oh, it's just like right up my alley. Cause I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm wired like that. You know that guy. No, I don't think I would have fit in. And if that was the, the kind of skate world I had to kind of, assimilate to yeah if, if that was the the kind of marker that yeah. you needed to live up to so it was yeah, like, i can i can totally understand that i yeah. think it was it was just acceptable enough right yeah you know it was and, and just alternative enough exactly so where it didn't could... feel like i was playing little league or yeah it felt like it was our own thing and and i think the i think something that i came to know about myself is that the thing i gravitated to early on was like this endlessness and not necessarily in like the tricks but like the endlessness of like oh there's this other church over here with the two stair and then there's this elementary school with these banks in the back and then you start looking at like everything in your neighborhood and then your city and then the neighboring city and it's like this concentric circle thing yeah i didn't know it at the time but that's totally me i'm like right as i got older i'd be like i love this band who else is on that label right and then i'm just buying things on a label sight unseen so which- you can you 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 dig right in yeah once you once you find something totally it like spoke to me in that sense that you could just keep pursuing like new terrain new terrain new terrain so yeah and we so you know the obvious question then was was filming kind of developing alongside this not i'm I'm guessing it was kind of first few years i'm guessing it was almost like a necessity thing right that you 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 know you're just like I'll, I'll, i'll do some filming was it kind of that simple when i was young my uncle had a camera um and but we couldn't touch it because this is still the age where video cameras yeah. are like, uh, you know, they're like a luxury item. Like this isn't like a common household thing. So he would tape us out front. Like and then the classic kind of shoulder. Exactly. The yeah, shoulder yeah. one. And it was daunting to like a 10 year old, all the buttons and everything. I yeah. wasn't, I didn't really want to try to f- figure it out. Um, he would shoot us and then we'd watch it. And then I'd never really thought of like documenting or making skate videos until high school came around. And a buddy of mine, the same guy, Mick, but in Whittier, his like cousin had lent him like a 
not high eight, but like eight millimeter. It was like the kind of downgrade from that. Sure. I want to say it was eight millimeter camera. And he had been filming with a friend of his and I went to meet him one day to skate and he like showed me the footage. He hooked the camera up to the TV and I was like, it like looked like a skate video. Yeah. I was like, what? And he was good. He was getting really good at skating. Right. Um, and that was, I think the first time that I was interested in like, we'd crossed that threshold. I think where it was like, he was skating good. And yeah. He wanted to see that footage of it. So then it became kind of exciting. And, and I wasn't even interested in so much in like f- documenting him or my friends as being documented myself right selfishly you know? yeah yeah of course yeah so i think that's how it came into play was um that was the first camera and then my uh some other friends that i'd met in high school my, my good friend johnny his um his parents had a camcorder right and they would let him borrow it or and then we would all take turns shooting or shooting each other and that was like our freshman year like our ninth grade year of, of high school so this is like 1993 okay um and i think that's when we actually started like filming with the intent of like let's go try to like film tricks right and collect them for we didn't know for what but uh ultimately we would make like a video what drives you on right i guess if you've got people that push themselves skating you know you're pushing yourself with the filming you're learning yeah. about that like it kind of i guess it becomes self-perpetuating it's quite a common thing isn't it where those those little scenes start to incubate and people progress like you with yeah. filming and your friends presumably and yourself with skateboarding as well right yeah i think that's exactly what happens is suddenly it's like you almost don't know you want to do this till you're doing it yeah and then once you're doing it you're like well i want to do it well so once we started documenting each other um you know you know truthfully speaking we probably and i myself included couldn't wait till the guy would land their trick so that we could get filmed like that's really how it went down for the yeah. first few years it was it was more of like a labor like you know like oh film this and you're like there was no excitement in like me taking the camera out it was right. just like praying like all right come on dude do this do this yeah, i yeah. want you to film this get on with it but then you know that that progresses and then i think once we started editing the videos like and i would just make them on like a you know two vcrs so yeah. i'd have like you know the camera hooked up to one and you know play and yeah. record on the other that's I think was the moment where I got hooked. Right. right. It was like, cause it's one thing to shoot it, but until you kind of cut it down into this like digestible format, then you're like, that was it. It was like, Oh my God, I want to like put this song to it. I want to like put this trick at the end. Um, I think that was the moment. Cause you presumably were like, like you said earlier, like a, a geek on it. So, cause it's a yeah. golden age as well of, of team films. Right. You know, yeah. when you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. 93, 94 was yeah. like, yeah. I mean the influences were huge. Yeah. Um, and was that a conscious thing that you look at? Well, maybe not conscious thing, but you know, you, you kind of copying those, you see those films and you're like, I can do that. Oh, absolutely. There's even, there's like footage of a, a, a really close friend of mine, Evan. Um, and I, in the footage, you can distinctly hear me say like, I'm coaching him. Like he's trying to like backside kickflip this gap. And I'm telling and in this footage, I found it years later and I was like laughing because I'm telling him like, Oh, when you roll away, your, your arm is kind of like Gino. And so I was like telling him like, yeah, just like keep your arm. Like, like we started, you know, like really consciously glomming onto these skaters that we really liked and yeah. wanted to, yeah, like emulate it with like the tricks they're doing. I'm trying to film it like them. Yeah. My first fisheye was actually a telephoto lens from my buddy Mick flipped around. Right. And I would just hold it in front of the camera's lens and it would give vignette. And cause it was telephoto when you flip it around it becomes this like pseudo wide angle kind of thing that's amazing and that was like (laughs) you know the limitations yeah yeah driving you on isn't it yeah we because we wanted it to look like the videos we're seeing with this like heavy vignette you know fisheye yeah yeah and i didn't know anything about the equipment at the time so i didn't even really 
I don't even think I knew that it was called a fisheye. Yeah, you just you worked it out. Yeah, I was just like, like that. Like, it should look like that. Yeah. Um, so when did it start becoming something that, you know, you, you thought, oh, maybe there's not a living in it, but like it might lead somewhere. Because I guess we're still a bit early for like getting paid, you know. But yeah. when, when, when was the first time that people started to take notice of what you did? I think it came toward the end of high school. There was a, a local skate shop called Liberty Board Shop. Uh, that actually was an incubator for a lot of local talented guys in like the North Orange County area. Um, And hanging out there a lot and kind of um, bugging those guys and being just in their space, I think pretty soon it just became clear like, oh, Colin is like the the filmer kid of this group. Right. Um, And I think I took that role on a little bit more intentionally as high school wore on and my friends uh, got better than I did at a faster rate. There was like a moment where we kind of, where I kind of plateaued and we were all kind of on the same level, like skill level where yeah. we're, where it felt, I guess where it felt like worthwhile to hand the camera off and each of us get documented. And then those guys crossed that threshold and it felt silly to ask them to film me for the most part. You yeah. Know? Not that I just was like, you guys are better. I'm going to shoot you. And so this is like the end of high school, like senior year. I think. Yeah. And we, we, we was that, were you happy about that? No. Yeah, because it's, no. it's a tricky one, that, isn't it? Especially it is. at that age. It's a bit of ego involved in that, right? Absolutely. I mean, you I know. love my friends, and there was never a feeling of animosity or Of course, or but, per, but personally, yeah, at that age, that's quite a tricky, yeah, tricky you thing, be, isn't it? You want to be the guy. You yeah. want to be great at, at this thing. And I loved skating. It didn't change my no, of course. my love for the act of, of skating. It, yeah. never, it was never that one. Because I know um, I've met a few people over the years who I think the moment they decided to be a, a documentarian of the sport or you know like a photographer or video yeah they kind of left the skating on the table right and they really focused on that and for me it was almost the opposite where i was like reluctantly becoming this filmer where you know one anecdote to speak to that is like i'd been getting paid to shoot skateboarding for about five years before i ever committed to getting a filmer board or what they call a filmer board like sure. big cruiser wheels yeah yeah large board for stabilization so that it doesn't make you know noise because I was not going to sacrifice being able to skate at these same spots as these guys. Right. Just for like a slightly improved uh, rolling apparatus. So that's almost like a symbolic yeah. thing, isn't it? It was. I was like not willing to kind of, that felt like a, that felt like giving in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just kept filming on my normal board. So that way when I wasn't shooting, I'm skating the spots with yeah. them. And there was no kind of, um, kind of this moment of like, oh, now you're a filmer because you've got this specialized board that you can't really skate regularly. And I finally caved like in like 2003. Yeah, I'm yeah. jumping way ahead, but that was just a kind no, of an example of how it, it's this thing we're talking like, about, I isn't it? Skate. Like well, I, it's, it's self identity, isn't it? Again, yeah. it's that thing where you're like, uh, and it's it's also subliminal that that stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a conscious thing that is no. it. You know, where you're kind of like, oh, I can't do that because I'm not a real skateboarder. You yeah, know, it's like it's, it's your subconscious kind of leading your conscious. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, you know. So you mentioned the first paycheck. So where'd that come from? So I, I ended up getting my first kind of um, filming gig was like a freelance gig. And this is uh, just after high school. And I had, uh, through that skate shop, had been uh, given a, at the time, cutting edge technology, the Sony VX1000. Right. This is 1997. And um, in skateboarding, even in the skateboard 
community at large, only a few companies had kind of committed to this newer technology. This yeah. is mini DV technology. Everyone else is on high eight. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. You yeah. know, because you have to get new equipment, new, you know, firewire. What is this? It's yeah, yeah. Like, you know, groundbreaking. So I had been lucky enough to get one of those cameras loaned to me through a uh, distributor for Soul Technology for S America yeah, yeah. and uh, Etnies. He was the one of the largest, I guess, like sales reps here in Southern California. Right. And, uh, you know, sales reps go around and they hook up skaters and, uh, you know, they hook up skaters at all the shops that they rep to, right? That's yeah. what's... Uh, they, it's like the proper grassroots level, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. He's like, oh, who, who's on your team? That's yeah. good. All and then that's where you, you find the AMs and, exactly. you, and, and you, you know, it's talent scout, isn't it, basically? Exactly. And so he had all these guys that he had been sponsoring at all these shops over Southern California. And some of them were kind of on the bubble to go to, to get like properly on right. companies. And so he wanted to put together a video of all of these guys um, and give some of them full parts, but the rest of them feature them in some montage or some sort of way. Right. So one of the first shops that he went to that he had a relationship with is Liberty Board Shop, the skate shop that I grew up going to. And he asks the shop owner and a couple of the guys that work at the shop, hey, I've got this camera that I just invested in. I want to make this video. And there's a handful of guys that ride or that are sponsored through him yeah that ride for this shop who should I, who can film this for me and they're like oh i get i wasn't there at the shop it's right like, right i'm not there but i get this phone call a few days later and they're like hey this guy wants to make a video we said we put your name in the you know in the hat do you want to do this then i'm like 18 years old I th i'm working at baskin robbins at the time right which is an ice cream yeah, chain yeah. here in the states yeah and um i'm like yes like i have nothing holding me back and so I agree, I get this camera and then I immediately start shooting with the local guys. And then he puts me in contact with skaters at the surrounding shops in the surrounding cities. So within like a month's time, my circle of the guys that I'm skating with goes from like a, a fair amount, maybe like 20 to like 30 and then yeah. to 40. And um, turns out that I basically had that camera for about nine months with only a few brief interruptions. So what originally was going to be that camera going to different shops and their respective kind of local filmers would get it and document the guys. Yeah. They just left it with me and then put me in touch with those shops. Yeah. So I just kind of became like the de facto filmer for this thing. Um, it's a big responsibility. It was, and I was like up for it. Yeah. I was so I was, excited. I was about to say, you strike me as somebody that probably worked pretty hard to, to make the most opportunity. I, I, I tried, I think, um, you know, this goes back to what you were saying about a scene kind of like self-perpetuating yeah. something is the guys that were at Liberty Board Shop, a handful of them went on to have like very successful careers in skating. Yeah. And at that time, I could kind of see that happening. These were my friends and they had gotten to this place where they were inspiring me to take what I was doing seriously yeah. because what they were doing was serious. So these are guys like James Craig, Gideon Choi. Yeah. Jeremy Ray, uh, Jeremy and Jonas Ray. They yeah. were a bit older. They were obviously doing their thing, um, but they're around and yeah. a huge influence. Um, Danny Garcia, uh, even my buddy Evan, Evan Shufflebine, he rode for Blind for a few years. Yeah. Um, so I think that was really the thing was like my friends were taking it serious and they were making strides toward yeah. their dream. So I was like, well, let me help you guys. And then let me try to, I, I really also, I think, wanted to make a video or make videos that looked like the stuff I grew up on. Yeah. And that's, so, and that's your opportunity. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I was for, like, here it is. And for a skate geek, yeah. you know, it's like, right, here we go. Yeah. Because I think that's the biggest, over the years, kids, 
have been like, oh, how did you like turn filming into like a job? And I'm always telling them just based on my own experiences, like you've got to find the local kids that are good at the yeah. shop and film them. It's so common when <laughs> I talk to photographers and filmers. It's the same for anything. It's the same yeah. for surf, snowboard, skate. You've got to get the partnership, haven't you? You've got yeah. to basically, and whether it's a group of people or whether it's somebody that you can shoot with and that's where it comes from, isn't it? It, it, it does. It really is a trust thing. Yeah. Because right? you... You get the opportunity. A lot of skaters or, who, or surfers, snowboarders, they'll give you the opportunity to like film them. Yeah. But it's really what do you do in that moment? You know, because it'll define it whether they call you again. Well, you got to deliver, haven't you? Exactly. Yeah. Or they don't. And so I definitely was, once I got that camera. You took it seriously. I took it serious because that was the other thing. The camera felt so serious. Yeah. Like the, I could control the image. Because before that, I had these cameras that were like these like consumer grade where there were like some manual features, some automatic features. And it almost had dumbed it down for the average consumer. So they were like symbols that represented things. Yeah. This was my first time dealing with like apertures and shutter speeds. And they were hard numbers, not like just icons of like a golfer. And you, a, you can't yeah. fake it. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you've got to learn and follow through, yeah. basically. And yeah. that was it. And that was my first kind of paying gig. I didn't get paid regularly, but I had kind of, I ended up getting like a, a lump sum at the end of this video. And that led to me getting a job at 411 Video Magazine. Yeah, which must have been an amazing break because at the time, it's like presumably the primary, you know, outlet, right? Yeah. For the that skate w- industry. That so, was like a dream. Yeah, country. right. How yeah. old were you? I was 19. I mean, that's you must have been pinching yourself a little bit, right? I was. Yeah. I was. And it, and it, it happened uh, relatively quickly. Yeah. And I think that was the thing that it, it didn't really seem realistic and then suddenly it was there i had um i'd met chris ortiz who is the uh he kind of managed the whole video department of four and one and he was a staff photographer for transworld skateboarding as well yeah. simultaneously so this is like when you're starting to really kind of make the connections and, and the network in the industry exactly and yeah. what happens we went out one day he went out to shoot an ad of gideon Choi, so a friend of mine who had already been filming with yeah i went out to film and he was shooting an ad with chris and I met Chris. I knew who he was. He was one of the only the few people behind the scenes in skateboarding that I'd paid attention to this names, you know, in the credit scroll. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I imagine I was pretty forthcoming. Like, hey, I've been filming. I've got all this footage. Um, I'd love to submit some stuff to you guys. You know, how do I do it? And I sent it in. You know, he gave me the information. I sent it in. And then I got a call back later. And they're like, hey, we really like your stuff. All uh, right. Okay. So you... you- you made your own look in this case. I did, but let me let me be completely transparent. Here. <laughs> the youthful part of me, there was some naive. Some I was being naive, right? Because this is at the same time that I'm filming this video for for Bill, who had given me this video camera. Sure. And so the footage that I'm telling Chris that I have, yeah, a majority, not all, because not all these yours. guys, yeah, 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 you know, ride for Bill, but um, a majority of it was supposed to be going toward that video. Yeah. And so I just was young and naive and didn't get it and excited didn't didn't get that that's how it works yeah exactly and so i ended up kind of i think just really well not kind of disappointing bill in that process because i did license some footage to them yeah that they weren't necessarily uh riders that he was flowing but i had been filming with them and and that footage was going to go to his video because his video was going to be inclusive it wasn't like oh you don't i don't sponsor you you can't be in it yeah suddenly i was giving up this good footage that still would have been good in the video yeah but everybody's got those stories haven't they? Yeah. i mean i did some fucking stupid shit when i was starting <laughs> out as a journalist so you, you don't know any better do you, you yeah. know and you've got to you got to make those mistakes basically yeah and as long as you kind of 
cringe and move on yeah it's important isn't it yeah because there are these rules aren't there in these industries sure. and, and a lot of them are commercially driven and you just don't understand it when you're a kid yeah and when you first get into this thing you need you need those people to say oh actually you might want to look at this a little bit differently you know but if you work hard people kind of cut you some slack don't they really yeah and i and that was the thing is we weren't done with that video yet so i had some time to kind of try to make good on it you know right. okay i i have licensed this footage we're not done filming let me kick it into like overdrive and try to really come through for him. Right. I, I felt like I did in the end. I felt yeah, like you I made up through. for it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah, you got to have those embarrassing moments where you're just like hand and, you know, just like in your face, just like, fuck. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. what did I do? And I'm not, and I think to speak to that too, is this industry skateboarding specifically for so long has never operated on like contracts. Right. So there's never anything laid out clearly. Right? Yeah. When he's giving me this camera, I'm not signing anything. There's nothing where I know the clear parameters of like, Hey, if you film this, you've got to give it here. So I'm doing like all of this thinking in my head, like, well, he doesn't like technically ride for him. So like, he won't mind if I, yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think that was tricky to navigate as like a 19 year old was like, it would have been easier had there just been a contract in place or, or somebody just said, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah. like somebody Probably just not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. This is how it goes. Yeah. Um, but I learned and that was, and, and I, and it springboarded me to four and one, which was like a dream. Yeah. So, so how was that? So how long were you there? I was there for about three years. Yeah. And proper heyday proper. Yeah. At the, at, at the very end of the heyday, I think it yeah. was, um, by the time I was getting ready to leave, I could see that there was like a fatigue in the skate world with, um, giving up their like a plus footage for this right for a long time four and one was able to get like great footage from great pros and and really be a showcase for for the the best of what was going on in skating and yeah not, and not to say that that didn't continue when i left but i remember one of the frustrations of working there was the constant um just people like turning you down you know and not being interested in being a part of it by the by the end of those three years it was less interest in the established uh skate community sure there was no shortage of up-and-comers who, who wanted to. who saw it as the platform yeah exactly yeah. and they would be willing to you know give their life for it and that was amazing but at the same time you know the thing that really brought me to four and one was those those big names and the you know these kind of established pros and ams that i wanted to see yeah so now that i was there i wanted to kind of continue that and it was frustrating to have that really not be an option after a while yeah you know so is that did that influence your decision to kind of leave and because you went to dvs right yes so dvs was something that for you you went there and you you kind of it sounds like you had an ambition to make a team film right which, yeah which, which kind of like goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the the kind of influences that you had when you were a kid so was that a primary kind of factor that you thought okay this is time for a bit of a change and a, a slightly new direction for you it, it was i think what what started that was working at four and one because it was like a like a, a magazine setup yeah you're working with all these different brands and it's kind of one of those like catch 22 things for for a company like four and one where you have these young employees who are excited to work for you and then you send them on a trip with, you know, I go to Africa with DVS and I go to Costa Rica with like Ezego clothing and, yeah. I, and I'm going on these trips with these teams. And then I start going, hmm, it'd be pretty rad to just work with a, like a consistent group of people yeah. rather than kind of switching this up every month. And that's really where the seed started was that I had done a few projects with DVS riders. I did a few day in the life segments with Steve Barra. I did one with day one. Uh, I went to Africa with Keenan and Huff and Barra. There might have been a few other things too. Oh, I did a this like roomies article with like Keenan and Gino and Eric Pupecki. And through those experiences, that really was like, 
I want to make a team video with a core group of skaters that is consistent. Right. So yeah, so that, that I think that's what it was. Yeah. So it's this thing where it's like four and one is benefiting from getting this, these articles with these brands, but at the same time, they're kind of losing me to these, to these companies. You know, it was like this moment of like, well, it's like you say that setup was looking back when you talk about it in this context is kind of like of its time, wasn't it really? Yeah. And it sounds like it did the scene outgrew it almost, you know, it did. It started to change. Yeah. And, and, uh, in those early two thousands, you know, uh, S footwear put out there, you know, Menik Mahdi, which yeah. was like a big groundbreaking video. Absolute legendary classic yeah exactly era defining exactly and then yeah. you had uh even like audio footwear put out uh their full-length video one step beyond yeah and then you um it you started seeing that the shoe brands were taking the place of what the board brands had done throughout the 90s yeah. they were putting the resources and the time toward these like these big projects and at the time um i think dc had just hired greg hunt and it was like the last remaining kind of shoe company that had a lot of promise and a great team at the time too was DVS. And I'd had these inroads through these, through these smaller projects. And so I think Steve Barra um, and a couple like Huff and uh, they vouched for me when right. I, and, and again, I kind of brought this to DVS. They were in the, the, they were in the process of, I think of the realization of like, Hey, we should also look into making a video like uh, you know, s or like audio yeah um we don't have anybody on board and and i kind of was like i'm your guy yeah so they were receptive so yeah. it's the right idea at the right time exactly and yeah. I, I kind of was like also four and one was still pretty strong at the time yeah and so i was like you know i have these connections here i didn't burn any bridges when i left so we can do smaller pieces and have an outlet for them because this is before uh video on the web right yeah again this is like because one of the things we again we were talking about earlier your career kind of perfectly mirrors all these different yeah. actual wider technological changes right it does yeah so you're like the last wave of where you could actually do that really yeah you could actually make that old school i mean i'm saying old school it's like sure. what 15 years ago isn't it but like it, you know that that format basically because yeah. you can't do it anymore no know? and at the time i i was you know so reluctant to the changes like the internet to me was like a nuisance um well i bet because it is an upheaval of the whole model right yeah you know and even back then this is like you know 2002 2003 the only thing you're seeing video wise online like in the at least in the skate world or i think in the sports world are snippets you know a 10 second clip a five yeah. second clip because that's all that really the the bandwidth could support could, the compressors could it, could it? Yeah, yeah yeah so i wasn't feeling any sort of like threat that it was going to come and become the the goliath that it is now yeah. but it was more of like a nuisance in the sense that um it was there and and there was an expectation to kind of feed the beast a little bit right and i kind of put my horse blinders on and was like no i'm just gonna make this like this team video yeah and i did and i was luckily lucky enough to be like you said at the exact right time where i didn't have to cave into the internet yet. yeah um you know so the i'm at dvs i go there in january of 2002 and i work on what would become skate more uh the dvs video probably late to i don't work on it right away but maybe like late 2002 until it premieres in may of 2005 right so like two and a half years maybe um and uh yeah it was like an amazing time it was this is pre-youtube yeah um this is uh you know 
like I said, I had already seen the writing on the wall that the shoe companies were going to be kind of the new yeah. kind of distribution of skate videos. And, and in that time from me starting at DVS, you know, DC released their video, the yeah. DC video, uh, Lakai had gone from this kind of really small sister company of DVS to really, they'd hired like Ty Evans and had started ramping up toward their own video, which would become fully flared. So it sounds like you sort of spotted that opportunity and you know the, the sort of way the wind was the wind was blowing with I, the change in the landscape you know like you yeah. said the, the basically the shoe companies and and there was an opportunity to do something so you kind of did you was that a conscious thing that you that you kind of clocked i think it was semi-conscious i think it had also like i had said i'd done those projects with dvs riders and yeah. some of those skaters were some of my favorite skaters so yeah. I, I was excited to it, i think it was a few factors it was one it was i had worked with those guys two i, I liked that team and then three, as I'd mentioned, a lot of the other major shoe brands had their kind of in-house video departments sorted. Yeah. And I and I could see that um, that these were desirable positions that the, because these guys were the companies that were putting the the budgets and the resources toward making yeah awesome videos. Yeah, yeah. So not to say that I wouldn't have worked for a, a board brand or anything, but I was like, oh, if if I want to make something and yeah. have the support, this is this is a great place to do it. Yeah, yeah. And and coincidentally for DVS, I got in like right as they were like climbing the hill. Yeah. So it was really serendipitous in that regard. Like when I got on, they weren't, they hadn't really hit yet. Yeah. They were, they were successful and they were growing. But like in those years, those first few years that we were making, like I'd say 2002 through 2005. Yeah. It was bananas. Yeah. Yeah. They were, you know, you could go to any skate shop and like the number of DVS uh, shoe skews on the wall was like, double and triple of anything else and i remember being like whoa this is insane but I, part of me knew too like all right well every dog has his day in the sun like this can't go on forever just right. like four and one couldn't be the kind of universal voice for escape videos for you know forever and, sure um but you've got, I didn't, you've got good timing I, I think yeah i wish i could say i could see it all but it's <laughs> a bit of luck it's a bit of luck or maybe it's instinct i think too i think there's like a an excitement that maybe I gravitate toward, like, yeah, you know, those it's guys. An interesting were... point, isn't it? Because you know, without being too glib about it, it does seem like there's you do know when to make a decision, which is important, I think, when you when you try to have a career, isn't it? Yeah. Because you've got you've got a, you need decisions about forward movement, right? You need to keep moving forward, especially if you do what you do, which is you know creative essentially. Sure, my wife would not agree. <laughs> I'm a decisive, a decisive decision maker. Um, no, I think. I think a bit goes back to the to the thing that initially hooked me in skating too. I'm a bit of a restless soul, right? You know, I'm like, what else is there? So I, I had kind of gotten to do my dream job at four and one, yeah. And then that lost a little bit of its luster when I saw these team videos coming out that were really, I think you had pointed it out, that reminiscent of what influenced me early on in skating yeah which must have been a factor yeah and yeah. so it was like oh i want to be a part of that pantheon yeah i wanted to have a video next to these other videos i didn't know what it was going to be or if it was possible yeah but that was a desire of mine to have something i think that had like um that had like staying power yeah right i think that's the difference is because the foreign ones they they were cyclical they were yeah, yeah, but even you know, you talk about hocus pocus or like questionable or whatever. Yeah. Like they they lasted, didn't they? They did. You know, like twenty, thirty years later. Yeah, they're still that legitimate, aren't they? They yeah. still hold that place, like you say, in the pantheon, basically. Yeah, and that's important. 
you know, in th- these cultures, isn't it? I think so. And there's definitely like some ego involved in that, I think. Well, as, you, you know, <laughs> every eye's got one. You know, like I'm looking at it like, oh, I want to have something that, that lasts. Because the, the 411 stuff was great. But, you know, six issues coming out a year, things can get yeah overlooked or forgotten quickly. Felt transient, maybe. Yeah, it did. And I think, and I also think, you know, like as a kid coming into skateboarding, um, those videos, like you had mentioned, they last for a long time especially as a kid, like, you know, you get like, I got like Hocus Pocus. I watched that for like a year, even though other videos had come out that, you know, maybe from a technical standpoint surpassed it or were better or whatever. Yeah, but it's, it's just something about those yeah. films, isn't there? Yeah. They would just Did you take the soundtracks? Uh, I didn't. <laughs> I, I would just hum them in my head. That's what everybody used to do. Yeah. Right? Like with the, you know, with the, the skate noises on exactly. there. And, yeah. 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 My friend Lisa had a lot of those tapes yeah. from those videos and you could hear like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like a proper throwback, isn't it? Yeah. Hilarious. So another obvious question then. So why did you leave? DVS was like, a, for, for as much kind of good luck as I've had in a timing sense, there was a few things that happened like right at the end of, um, of that Skatemore project, primarily being my wife at the time wanted a divorce with you know and in no you know completely connected to the production of that video right not that i had disappeared by any means but as a young family we were young yeah um you were immersed i was gone uh, on trips uh i was and even when i was at home i was out filming every day yeah um and i think that lack of structure like we you know there was no there was no day that wasn't fair game right like i'm going filming on like thanksgiving you know, of course I'm doing the dinner thing, but I'm like timing it so that I can go film from 10 a.m. till 2 p.m., go yeah. do Thanksgiving dinner with the family, and then maybe squeeze in another. Because at that time, I was so excited to have this opportunity and to be working with these guys, you know, Day One and Dill. Yeah, and right. Like, that I, I just was like completely obsessed. You were driven. I was. And I, I had a daughter at the time, and I would hang out with her a lot. Um, the good thing about skaters is they don't wake up so early. So I would have these like long mornings to yeah. do family stuff. But, uh, but then, you know, I'd be gone. I wouldn't come home for dinner. And I think that wore down the relationship. Um, it wasn't the only factor, but like I said, so the video came out and that month I was going through a divorce suddenly. Right. So I didn't even really get to kind of, um, enjoy the, the kind of fruits of the labor. It was like my, my world suddenly was like upside down and right. And I switched gears from making like a traditional skate video and going out and filming every day and documenting tricks to suddenly having to think of um, project-based uh, work, like c- things that I could shoot in a week. Right. Uh, think you know, I had to suddenly change so my whole a, model. It was a practical transition, yeah. basically. And it was a little early for the rest of the industry, so I was a weird like outlier in that regard. Like the internet hadn't hadn't become this thing because now that's normal yeah now everything's like how can we make serialized content and do this thing yeah yeah and at the time i was doing it not because i was wanting to or like had the vision for it so much as just became a practical solution to right maintaining a career in skating but also maintaining a family and raising my kid yeah and so i you know immediately this is right when the apple podcast hit big the video podcast yeah and so I was making these video podcast edits, like trick tips and whatever I could for DVS. Um, and there was a, a network at the time called Fuel TV, yeah. a TV, like yeah, a sports you know, I'm, network. I remember, and, um, yeah. I had made some connections there through DVS yeah. and was now producing shows on DVS's behalf for them, yeah. which DVS was excited for because essentially they were like half hour commercials. 
So they, there was no conflict of interest. Like, oh, you're, why are you making these shows for them? Plus, DVS was getting paid directly. I wasn't getting any of the budget. Yeah. They, DVS would get the budget from them and then allocate me whatever they deemed was necessary. And then I'd go make these shows. And that was, like I'd say, like for the first two years after the DVS video. And so it was this weird thing because um, it was a little early for what would become kind of the standard protocol for making online content. Yeah. So I felt kind of weird. And the skaters, it was hard to get them to be right. on board. That's interesting. Because they still really believed in that model of, yeah. of the skate video. And again, this is the change, isn't it? Yeah. That you're talking about like the shift because it's com- like you say, it's completely normal. Now. It's a lot of the work you do now, right? These, yeah. These projects. Exactly. Brand collaborations, yeah. right? So yeah, it kind of set the table for what I would end up doing down the line. Yeah, I didn't know it at the time, and I was resentful of it to be honest. You were really? Oh yeah, I wasn't like, I wasn't excited to do this. You know, suddenly these relationships that I'd built up with these guys of being in streets with them for years to make this video um, were gone because they continued that. That was their career. You yeah, know, they they didn't change their model of how they were going to operate, and. uh and so that, you know, we didn't spend as much time together. I didn't, I kind of was like isolated. I still worked for the brand and it would go on a, f- a few trips. I had to be really selective about what trips I would go on just because I had my kid, you know, and now I was a single parent. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that kind of, I was like resentful, not of my situation, but a little bit more of just like, ah, like I want to still be doing that. You yeah. Know, I still want to do that with you guys because the connection I could tell it was, it, it wasn't as tight when we would get together. Yeah, you know? but I guess it's it's always going to change, isn't it? It as is. You, as as life kicks in, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but you made it work by the sounds of it. I did make it work. And, yeah, and I was lucky to have actually the guys at DVS. I think were really, um, I'm lucky to have them because there was definitely they could they could have been oh why do we need you full time anymore yeah you know we can just hire you as an independent contractor for this stuff sure so i was really lucky that they they saw the value in keeping me on full time and not kind of saying oh you're done with the video yeah we'll just kind of bring you in to do these little things as needed yeah um youtube launched that year that skate more came out they it launched like a month the same month before or after and that was, I remember feeling the first pinch of YouTube. Right. I'd never heard of this thing until people were like, I saw the video on YouTube. Right. And I was like, YouTube? Right. That's and then when I saw it, it, it was like, you know, 144p quality. I was just like appalled. Like, oh my God, this doesn't look anything like yeah. it's intended. You know, I remember thinking that, uh, you know, my mini DV footage was so gl- like, you know, was glorious and, and, and high res. Absolutely. How- there it is. And it's grainy non-glory. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. now looking back at, you know, DV footage, it's pretty laughable yeah yeah so. <laughs> yeah well like you say cutting edge at the time and yeah. you know you poured your heart into it like, um, absolutely that yeah. was that was a bummer that i remember that was like felt kind of like a like a sting like ah oh, like this thing that we'd like killed ourselves for and it was like yeah chopped up i think that was the thing too right you make i think like a, the old skate videos even up to like skate more or fully flared they're like an album like so they're put together with like this kind of thought of like a beginning a middle yeah, of and course. end they've, they've got a sequence exactly they? so yeah. when you see it chopped up like this yeah especially at that time yeah it felt, yeah it was like oh like rip my heart out yeah like, you're not supposed to see that part yet that's the last part of the video yeah i mean it's the same with musicians isn't it yeah, and, oh yeah and the way that suddenly the album was a defunct format yeah. basically yeah you know and that's just lasted, hasn't it? The way people consume, it's just completely changed, isn't it? And yeah. Because of that technology. Exactly. I had to get over that real quick. Yeah. The, so where did the, the Barracks connection come in then? You know what? That was, again, that was Steve Barra. Um, 
he didn't necessarily court me, but he, you know, he was a DVS pro Yeah, and I'd worked with him over the years and we, you know, we didn't have like a, like a, a perfectly harmonious relationship all the time. We'd butt heads sometimes, you know, he has very clear ideas of how he wants things to go and he has a clear vision for things. And I have a pretty clear vision. And so there were a lot of times we would kind of butt heads. We weren't like this perfect partnership, but, um, I liked what he was doing with the barracks and the barracks had been around for a couple of years now at this point. This yeah. is like 2010. And again, another shift in Sky Media, basically. Exactly. This is yeah. the new 411. Yeah, almost. Yeah. I remember thinking of it as that. Like, oh, this is the new 411. It's like these kind of bite-sized content pieces. Yeah. And instead of being released, you know, six times a year, it's like a few times a week. Yeah. So, it's, you know, again, serendipitously kind of chiming in with what you were doing. Yeah. Right. And so he was doing that. And I was, not only did I, I kind of like what he was doing, but he was a DVS pro. So there was a lot of crossover yeah he was constantly coming to dvs and pitching ideas to try to get support to enact some initiatives that he would want to do through the barracks and so i was around to kind of see that happen and then he was watching what i was doing with dvs and at this point i'd really shifted to kind of like a stylized content sure. you know these like pr produced pieces yeah and so i think he saw where they were going with the platform lining up with what I was doing with DVS. Yeah. And so he, he reached out and was like, Hey, if you know, if you're interested in ironically enough, going back to like a four one one situation of working with multiple brands yeah. and multiple crews. And cycle. It, yeah. yeah. It's like, if you're interested in that again, um, let me know. We can, we can discuss it. Cause I'd love to have you come work for us. Yeah. And I think at this point I'd been at DVS for almost nine years and it was like, now I had this desire to maybe, uh, not really not work with the same crew. It had nothing to do with like the, the group of guys at DVS. I love those guys. And we had really gotten to know each other. Well, there was no sense of like, Oh my God, I have to work with these guys. It was more of the sense of like, um, I don't know how much more DVS is going to give me to create content with these guys. Right. right? If they're going to, if they're going to continue to, to fund ideas, um, which they did do a lot up until that point. But I could tell, economy is tanking yeah right 2008 oh, yeah, of course. You know, like it's it, that time as well right? yeah so the economy yeah goes to shit dvs contracts severely yeah and suddenly i think the thought of like allocating marketing dollars to videos seems a bit yeah it's the first to go right yeah exactly when yeah. the industry shrinks and leans. so which can again lead to new creativity because people start to put the message out there but I think that that heyday that you're talking about kind of gone for a little while right yeah yeah so the the barracks era you know again seemed it just seemed like a really fertile period the barracks period yeah. it seemed like you got to be like you know try a lot of different ideas yep. and be and be basically very creative uh, yeah so i i got lucky again i think in the sense that i got onto something as it was really rising yeah and um and i think and i credit steve with that steve is he has he's a pretty savvy guy and um and really loves skateboarding steve is a controversial figure in yeah yeah He's very polarizing he, he certainly is um yeah but i think one thing that's undeniable if if you remove biases is that he really does have a, a love for skating yeah and wants to showcase it whether or not it's the voice that you agree with or not is totally debatable but his intentions but are, his intentions are there are pure and and that's what he brought me on for and that was exciting he was like come and make things that are new that you know we had like some very just like frank discussions about like 
kind of the status quo in skating and the desire to make just to, to experiment and they could be failures that's the thing too is skating is like a tough crowd yeah you know no and, doubt <laughs> and so as exciting as it is to take like a risk at the same time i'm like my stomach's in knots and you know i'm nervous a lot of times I'm like is anybody gonna like this right is this so that just me that's never changed yeah you still got that yeah that's interesting because you you would think that when you've had such a career and had so many successes that you, you might lose that but it's probably healthy right yeah i think i mean because I, I think that is ingrained as a skateboarder yeah i think of course. That, that is like a, a skateboarder's mentality is always waiting for your friend or for somebody to just give you shit about yeah something. to tell you that it's shit yeah yeah so i think that has never gone away well it's a healthy kind of you know arbiter isn't it I, I think so i think i think that's one of the things that i always liked about skateboarding it was like yeah. a self-policing kind of thing where uh you kind of couldn't get too cocky or too caught up in yourself there was always somebody there you know whether it was like the guy at the skate shop to yeah. put you in check or your yeah, brother yeah. or something um I, I like that about it yeah it's like one of those kind of classic i think scenes that like you know they'll they'll let you know the moment you've kind of turned into an ass yeah <laughs> the guard, guards against complacency doesn't it yeah so these days you're kind of doing more of these again you're back you're back to the project kind of collaboration brand collaboration stuff right yeah you know, so stuff like one stop and sure like, yeah so yeah. is this is this the main work that you're doing then right now it is the main work um i think once i started doing those kind of project like conceptual skate pieces um it was hard to actually get out of that thinking and suddenly there was all of these ideas that I wanted to try to exercise. So some of these ideas have been around for longer than others yeah. in some form or another. Like a lot of times there's definitely refining that keeps happening in my head, but they're just ideas where I'm like, Oh, it'd be rad to like do this or, and especially as skating again, like I think what it is is I'm looking at skating to help dictate what I can make. Like I would have never thought to have made a one stop in the era of skate more. Yeah. Right. Like skating wasn't there yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, when you're our age, it seems like such a crazily ambitious idea that you could actually execute it. Yeah. Like it, at certain periods of skate history, you would have just been like, we can't do that. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I would have been like, there's no way yeah. I was like, I don't even know if the skater could, could do it. Yeah. You know? And then skating with these younger guys like miles or whoever you start seeing they the can level do of talent yeah. and, and, and also the level of confidence that they have. Yeah. Well, you'd have to, I mean, yeah. That, that, one of the things that's really interesting about that is, I kind of guessed that some of these ideas might have been waiting for the right skateboarders to come along yeah. so you could execute them, right? They are. Yeah. I think a lot of times I'm trying to tailor it to the skater as opposed to kind of making a one-size-fits-all idea. Yeah. Even like uh, Quick, like one of the first things I did at yeah. the barracks with Austin. Yeah, yeah. There was never like a backup list of like, okay, well, if Austin can't do it, it's just, this guy, this guy, this guy. It's like, it's for this guy. It's, it's for that Austin. guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And yeah. the same with Miles, basically. Same thing with Miles. It's yeah. like... Um, and because those questions come up, right? Undoubtedly, especially when you pitch these to brands because they yeah. sponsor, you know, a half dozen or a dozen guys. So immediately they're like, what about this guy? What about? Yeah. And more often than not, I'm having to be like, nope, it's just this guy. And, you know, and it's like, I think this is the guy to do it. Yeah. You know, that it makes sense with. And they trust you? Uh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah do you ever I have think... to battle with it? Because, you know, that's the thing with another thing I want to ask you, you know, you do work a lot with brands and sometimes that can be a a tricky relationship can't it because yeah. it's a brand message and a creative message but you look like you're kind of able to navigate that quite seamlessly and get you know get your kind of vision across and please the the brand you know sure. which is not easy really all the time sure i think the one of the benefits of working in the industry as long as i have is that 
you know, I know people that have gone on to work at a lot of these brands. Yeah. So the trust that we talked about. The trust is there. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's, I've already at least passed that vetting, you know, that there's somebody vouching for me that as in a position of, you know, that is respected at the brand. Yeah. And that means a lot because not that it's the golden like key to the city that, you know, I can just show up and try to do whatever, but at least it gets past that, um, that hesitation yeah. that there that, that I still do encounter sometimes. Yeah, sure. Because skating is, is a much bigger industry in 2019 than it was in 2000 when I was at Four and One. So yeah. there are tons of people that I don't know at these brands that maybe they're familiar with my work, but um, they've never worked with me, and I don't know that they're willing to put their neck on the line for an idea that I have that maybe sounds half baked or something. Yeah. So um, I, I think working in the industry for a long time has open those doors where I can take the risk. And I think they can see that I, the last thing I want to do is like, let the skater down. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. And these brands are reflective of the skaters that they, they sponsor. So yeah. it's like, if I'm trying to do right by the skater, I think it's always going to do right by the brand. Yeah. Again, it's you respecting it. Yeah. Basically. It really is. I, yeah. I respect these guys and, and I want to do something that really showcases them, Yeah, you know, and puts them in like a, the most flattering light. While maintaining the thing that I've always tried to do, not always, I was younger, I didn't think about this shit, but yeah, as I got yeah, older. Yeah, yeah. As you recognize. As I recognize yeah, it, yeah. I wanted to, to put these guys in the best light possible, but also make sure that it was like, um, like true to them yeah. uh, without sounding too much like a marketing guy. But it's really like, this is how they skate or this is who they are. Or this is something that feels like if I didn't think of it, they might already be thinking of something similar. Yeah. That, well, that, but that's where the, the good work's obviously coming from, isn't it? You know, all these layers that you're talking about. Yeah. Because again, it's also about this, the, you know, the growth of the network that we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know, that, that, that also comes with you as you develop a career, doesn't it? Exactly. And, you know, like, like you're talking about, it's that earned trust that comes from that. Yeah. So what's, um, what's next at this point? Uh, if you can tell me. Yeah, I, I don't have, I mean, well, I actually just did another piece for Adidas that's in the vein of the one-stop thing, but a much shorter piece. Yeah. But it's kind of that taking, um, you know, one-stop was basically like taking the the traditional skateboard line and applying it in a new format, you know, yeah, seven I'll, blocks. I'll link to it if people haven't seen okay, it. Okay, yeah. It's, it's, the, um, yeah, it's so worth I'd, watch. I did another one recently. It's much shorter, but it's kind of just taking something that's so familiar and so integral in skateboarding and then just kind of turning it on its head a little bit you know and it's not there's no trickery really involved but it's more of like a, oh shit like i didn't th- i didn't see it that way it's yeah. like taking a step back and seeing it a little bit broader um that's kind of fun i did yeah. it with day one for adidas and that was a fun one is that out now or is that- no it'll be coming out i think in the next month or so oh sweet um trying to let's see what about the the non-skate stuff that you do? Because you, you, yeah. you work with your wife, is my, it? Yeah, with my wife. Yeah, yeah. Because so you, you, you kind of, you know, make fiction shorts, don't sure. you? And you do music videos. There's, yeah. there's a lot of other stuff that we haven't even talked about. But sure. presumably there are there are projects, ambitions in that area as well. There are. Yeah, my wife is an amazing storyteller and a writer and a, and a director herself, um, but has zero interest in skateboarding. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, a, that's a good good place to be though right yeah Yeah. she's very she's brutally honest she's always like yeah let me let me say this that almost all of the projects that i've done in the last 10 years have had to pass her 
criticism first. Yeah, her not her, like, independent filter. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and she's honest. She'll let me know. She'll, Why is that in there? Yeah. Why is it, uh, I feel slow here. And so there's definitely times where I've, like, made adjustments. There's also times where I've, like, stood my ground and be like, that's how it is because it's a skate thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's got to stay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, she's great. Um, and so working with her has been awesome. It's Unfortunately, it's not as often as we'd like. Yeah. Because they are passion projects. It's it's hard to get things funded. Yeah. Um, in that world because I've worked in skateboarding for so long and yeah. skateboarding is so grounded in uh, realism. It's hard to be like, Hey, let's do this fictional thing yeah. that you guys can pay for. Of course. Um, but yeah, we've made a short film together, a couple of music videos. Um, and we are talking about making another one of her short stories into, uh, well, actually it's not a short story. It's a, it's a, some letters from her mother. Um, wow. Turning those into a short film this summer. She's, she put a date on it. She's like, we're doing it in July. Right. So we'll see if we can pull that together. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to, because those, um, you know, there's making a skate video or a snowboard video or a surf film. I think they're all really similar in the sense that you're really reliant on things just working. Yeah. The weather working, the waves working. Yeah, sure. In skating, not getting kicked out. There's so many things that can, that you're out of, that are not in your control that you kind of are just hoping happen that making like a narrative piece where you only have five days and you're hiring a crew and where it's the complete opposite where everything has to be planned out. Yeah. I always thought making skate stuff was hard because of those variables. Yeah. That shit is a walk in the park. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and you know it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like making a narrative. I've never not slept as much as making something where, um, you know, where you have just such a finite amount of time and yeah. resources to make something and you can't fix it in the edit, right? You can't suddenly like, well, I'll just slow-mo that trick yeah. and I'll just, you know, cut the song here. There are workarounds to things when they don't go your way making a skate video. There, It's very hard to work around that in a story. You know, Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see again because it's limitations, isn't it? So yeah. it'd be interesting to see what comes from it. Are you seeing that? Are you, are you finding that it's forcing you to work in a, a different way? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is, which is fun. I think I, I'm not the type of person that works well with completely open parameters. Yeah. That actually is, uh, you need restrictions. I need restrictions. Yeah. I know there are people who that's their, that's how they function best. It's like, yeah. just go. Uh, my brain is kind of wired with like, well, what are my boundaries? And then let me work backward from there. Yeah. So I, I do find that it, there's crossover between making like the narrative stuff and, and the skate stuff that it's helped me kind of, I think, I think it's helped me hone my ideas to where like, okay, when I was younger, things could be open-ended. Like, you know, I'm, I'm telling you that from 2002 to 2005, I made one skate video, yeah, yeah, right? You know, yeah. and then nowadays I have like four days or like one stop was shot in five days. And I knew, and that was it. That was the last night we had budgeted. That was the last night we had crew yeah. when we finally got it. So there was no kind of open-endedness. Yeah. So. Bit of pressure there, right? Yeah. So, yeah. and they're not quite like commercials in the sense, you know, where, um, you know, I mean, they, they walk that line, I think between like maintaining tr true to like skateboarding and the variables that come with it. And then the kind of commercial or short film world. Yeah. I think we got to wrap it, yeah. which is, uh, sorry, I'm, ra I'm no, a man, we could, we could, we could have got on. Um, yeah. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, uh, I really appreciate this. This has been fun to kind of travel down memory lane and then also think about Think about things from your youth as an adult. Yeah. Is always an interesting, it is. you know, because you don't always see it at the time. And yeah. You get some time and some perspective and you're like, oh yeah, I guess things were working in that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you. 
So there you go. That was my interview with Colin Kennedy and I hope you enjoyed it. Hugely enjoyed the brief time I spent with Colin. Really do urge you to go out and check out his work over at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com to find out more. Speaking of which, you might have noticed I stressed the third W then because somebody pointed out that usually I only say two W's when I read out the website and they're right, which is really weird. Who knew? I'd never noticed that. What a funny old vocal tick, eh? Um, Thanks for pointing that one out. The person, you know you are, who pointed that one out. Perhaps you want to be a little bit worried that you're paying that close attention, but I appreciate it anyway. Anyway, I must say one of the most recent bonuses of the podcast trip to California and all the increased listenership that seems to have brought in is the increase in listener contact like that. Obviously, I'm joking. Thanks for the thanks for getting in touch about that, which has really been great. Some really lovely messages of encouragement coming in from people, which is greatly appreciated. So please keep them coming. I've even shifted a bit more merchandise recently, which has been good. Been a while since I plugged the merch. So yeah, as I've said at various points in the past, if you do feel like supporting the podcast by buying some merch and helping spread the word on a particularly grassroots level, you can do it. Please head on over to my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. Fuck, it's actually quite hard for me to do that. Where you'll find the shop tab and you'll be able to find all of my lovingly designed tees, hoodies and sweats. Featuring artwork by Owen Tozer. Because Owen Tozer, my right hand creative man on this whole thing, designed the logo. So there you go, multi-talented. You thought his pictures were good as well, eh? As ever, if you are in the merch gang, please consider sending me a pic of you wearing said item, either to me at my Insta at We Look Sideways or to me via email at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. So another thing that happened recently was I was approached by Chris at Same Old Skate Mag, who was interested in finding out if I'd be up for running a couple of the interviews in his magazine. Big fan of that project, which is the type of insanely creative and obviously completely lost leading enterprise that only a true believer could come up with really a little bit like this podcast. So we're chatting to see if we can find a way of making that happen. Also wanted to say thanks to friends and podcast guests, past and future Chris Cote and Todd Richards for their extremely kind words in the most recent episode of the Monday Mass. Very tickled to hear that when I checked out the latest episode. So thanks, fellas. Incidentally, if you're not checking out the Monday Mass every week, you're doing it wrong because it's by far the best of these Action Sports Digest shows. I'm not going to... I'm not sure I agree with that it's the best action sports podcast in the world, Chris. But, you know, um, you did say that we were in the top two when we met, which I appreciated. Anyway, they analyse the news and generally talk shit each week in no small part. It's very entertaining because of the genuinely funny chat and rapport between Todd and Chris. My interview with Chris for this very podcast will be coming out soon, so keep him peeled for that. All right, that's it for this week. Back again soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Nice one. <laughs>